0: This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd.
1: Welcome to the program today, this is Don Boyd, I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today, we're going to continue our studies in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to begin down in verse 12, and then go through the end of the chapter. When we begin looking at these verses, we're gonna find that we're gonna be looking at Adam and Christ, which are the two focal points of history. In Romans chapter five, verse 12, we read that sin and death entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve. It reads, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, death was an enemy, and it was not to be introduced into the world. Now we look at that in Genesis two, sixteen and seventeen. Genesis two, sixteen and seventeen it says, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So we find from that verse that God warned Adam, and then eventually Eve as well, that they were not to eat of that tree because when they did, they would die. It didn't mean they would die instantly, though they did die instantly spiritually, but they would die face physical death. Well, when you come down to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we see then that mankind's lusts overcame their fear of death at that point, and it's still the same way today. The desires, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is exactly what Satan used here on Eve, he uses on every human being. And we make the decision whether to fall for his snares or whether to overcome them. At this point in, in history, in Genesis 3, Eve fell for the snares of the devil and so did adam when you look in 1 corinthians chapter 15 verse 26 again talking about death being an enemy it says there 1 corinthians 15:26 the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death so death is an enemy of mankind and sin and death both physical and spiritual entered the world there during the time of Adam and Eve in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 21 and 22 1 Corinthians 15:21 and 22 Paul wrote for since by man came death by man also came the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die even so in Christ, shall all be made alive. You see, when people sin, it has ripple effects that go out in ways and effects in ways that we may never know. See, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they probably never thought about that death entered the world by them. And because of that, God had to send a Savior for mankind. But, of course, God knew that that would happen. Physical death came upon all because of Adam's sin. You go to Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is, appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So we each have an appointment with death. Spiritual death comes by individual sin. You know, we read a while ago, "All have sinned." In Romans 5:12, we'll read it again. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. <clears throat> In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, Ezekiel 18:20, we read there. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We read in Revelation 21, verse 8, Revelation 21, 8 But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have a physical death and then we have eternal punishment, which is the second death. Well, we all share the consequences of Adam's sin, and that is physical death, but we do not share the guilt of his sin, which is called inherited sin. We do not share that. Children of an alcoholic may bear the consequences of his actions, but that does not mean they share the guilt of his actions. The Bible nowhere teaches that we are born with a so-called sinful nature. In Matthew five nineteen, or excuse me, Matthew nineteen verse fourteen, <clears throat> Matthew nineteen fourteen, says Jesus, but Jesus said, "Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." The kingdom of heaven is made up of those who are innocent, declared innocent by God. So we must be declared innocent by God. and we do that through obeying the gospel. And we see that children are innocent, therefore they do not inherit any sin. In Romans 6:23 says, "But the wage or for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wages of sin, what we deserve when we sin is eternal punishment. That's second death. But God has given us a gift, and that is eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, "'If you love me, keep my commandments, That's the only way we can have that eternal life through Jesus Christ. Up to the extent that law existed, there was no sin. In Romans 5.13 it says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Well, you look in the original and the word the, where it talks about the law, it's not there. The literal translation of the Bible puts Romans 5.13 this way. For sin was in the world until law, but sin is not charged where there is no law. In Romans 5.13, the Young's literal translation says for till law sin was in the world and sin is not reckoned where there or when there is no law all right this is not we're not looking at a time factor we're looking at its extent you know up to the point that law existed there was sin and the first law was given to adam in the garden where he said thou shalt not eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil If God had not made that law, or any other law, Adam and Eve would not have sinned. If God had never said anything about, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of knowledge of good and evil, but thou mayest eat of all the trees of the garden, then they would not have sinned when they ate of that tree. But God did set that law forth. And sin was in the world between Adam and Moses. We notice that in Romans 5.14. Romans 5.14. It says there, Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is in the figure of him that was to come. Well, whenever we look at this verse, we see, you know, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There was nothing there, no one could be saved by animal sacrifices. But it even mentions that even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, you're looking there at those children who were innocent, and you're looking there at those who may have been mentally. Uh, retarded in some way some people don't like the word but it's true and they never reached the age of accountability so death reigned even over those who had not reached the age of accountability they did not sin in order for themselves for their death but they inherited physical death when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden Physical death came upon everyone except Enoch and Elijah. In Genesis five twenty one to twenty four we find the event about Enoch Genesis five twenty one to twenty four It says And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters and all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch did not die. God translated him. And then we look at Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11. 2 Kings 2.11 It says it came to pass as they still went on, they there being Elijah and Elisha, and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So there we have the events of those two who did not die, that it would have been changed as we read there in 1 Corinthians 15. But they did not die. They did not sin by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was other law. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, we find that there were more than just that law. Genesis 6 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. So right there we see there was more than just thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they were run out of the Garden of Eden because of that and couldn't get to it anyway. So there was law there. And now Paul introduces how that Adam in many ways is similar to Christ. Now, Brother Roy Deaver, in his work, God's Plan for Man's Righteousness, put a chart. At the top of the left column, he put Adam. At the top of the right column, he put Christ. Under Adam, he put creature of God. Under Christ he put son of God. Under Adam he put head of physical family. Under Christ he put head of spiritual family. Under Adam he put slept a natural sleep. And then he put rib by that, that being this deep sleep that God caused to come upon Adam whenever he removed his rib and formed Eve out of it. Under Christ, he put slept unnatural sleep, and that being his death. And then we see under Adam, he wrote side was opened, and that would be to extract the rib. Under Christ, he put, side was opened. And that was after he had been crucified and the spear was pierced into his side to verify that he was dead. So we have these ways now that Adam was similar to Christ. And now let's look and see what Paul did. Well, continue with what Brother Deaver did. Under Adam, this is continuing his chart, thus obtained a bride, Eve. Under Christ, Thus obtained a bride, the church. Under Adam, he put law of propagation. There would be human beings born. Under Christ, he put law of propagation. Dead to the law of Moses and alive to the law of Christ. Under Adam, he put tempted by Satan. Under Christ, he put tempted by Satan. Under Adam, he put was overcome by Satan. Under Christ, he put was victor over Satan. Under Adam, he put physical death brought in. Under Christ, he put assures resurrection. Under Adam, he put sin brought in. Under Christ, He put, remission made possible. And then one other. Under Adam, he put, spiritual death was brought in. And under Christ, he put, spiritual life is made possible. Now let's look at what Paul was writing there in Romans chapter 5. The first thing that we'll look at is Romans 5.15 now. And that is Christ's gift is more than enough to handle all sin. Romans 5:15. It says, but not as the offense so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. So there are several similarities between Adam and Christ, but now Paul shows a distinct contrast between the two when he uses the word but. The sin of Adam was in the garden. The gift of God was at Calvary. Brother Guy in Woods in the Adult Quarterly in 1968 wrote this, and I quote, it was the intent of the writer to show here that vastly greater blessings have resulted from the sacrifice of Christ than evils have abounded from the sin of Adam. The reason is to be found in the love and mercy and goodness of God. Grace always outdistances distances sin." Unquote. Well, what man lost in Adam is gained back in Christ. The gift of Christ made it possible for the pardon of all the sins of humanity if humanity will obey. You see, God offered his wonderful grace to humanity. Ephesians 2, verses four through nine. Ephesians 2, four through nine. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So right there, God offered his grace to us. There's no way we could work our way into heaven, and yet we have God's grace. But God's grace has its stipulations, does it not? Well, God made it then possible for us to be righteous. In Second Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians five twenty one, Paul wrote, For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God's grace and the gift by grace have abounded unto many. The word abounded here comes from a Greek word, and this is Thayer's definition of that word. To exceed a fixed number of measure, to be left over and above a certain number or measure. So Adam brought death, but God's gift brought justification and life. What God did for us through His grace is far greater than what Adam's sin could ever do. In Romans chapter five, verse sixteen we see God's grace through Christ has abounded. Romans 5.16. And not as it was by one man that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. See, the sentence that came from Adam's sin brought condemnation. We go back to Genesis 3, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt thou return. So that's the sentence that came upon humankind because of Adam's sin. But the free gift of God brought justification. When you look at John 1, verse 29, John 1:29, it says, The next day John, that's being John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If the entire world would obey the gospel, obey God's plan of salvation, live faithfully to him the rest of their lives, the whole world could be saved. But we know from Matthew 7, 13, and 14, such is not the case. For Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. For straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Well, God's tender mercy and compassion are demonstrated through the gift of Christ. We're going to look at James 5.11 from the literal translation of the Bible. James 5.11. It says, Behold, we call those blessed who endure." You have heard of the patience of Job, and you saw the end of the Lord, that the Lord is full of tender mercy and pity. That's the way God is. God has tender mercy and pity for us in sending us a Savior, the Savior, and in giving us his word so that we know how to live this life so that we can be pleasing to him. And death reigned through sin but righteousness reigns because of the gift that's romans 5:17 romans 5:17 it says for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ You see, it's obvious that Paul is referring to more than just physical death since it is contrasted to the gift of righteousness. Now, I want to go over to Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. It says there, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself, that being Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that is, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. So Jesus suffered being tempted, but Jesus never sinned, you see. Well, so the child of God enjoys a privileged status of being a child of God. Well, one thing that we have that privilege is we're no longer ruled by sin. We rule over sin. In John 8:31 to 34, we find Jesus saying that, John 8:31 to34. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, "If ye continue in my word, then ye're my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." They answered him, "We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. In other words, sin is ruling over their lives. And the word committeth there in the present tense means it is a continual action that they are committing sin. And sin is their master is what Jesus is saying here, because they are servants of sin. But we can be justified. In other words, we can be made just as if I'd never sinned. We find an example of that over in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says there, "'Know ye not that the unrighteous "'shall not inherit the kingdom of God? "'Be not deceived. "'Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, "'nor adulterers, nor effeminate, "'nor abusers of themselves with mankind, "'nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, "'nor revilers, nor extortioners, "'shall inherit the kingdom of God. "'And such were some of you. "'But ye are washed.'" but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They had lived in this unrighteous state, this unrighteous life. But he says you're washed, that would be washed in baptism. You're sanctified, you're made holy. You're justified, you're declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now they are no longer servants of sin. And because of that, they have the privileged status of having the promise of eternal life or everlasting life. In Titus 3, verses 5 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, that would be baptism, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we can have that promise, that hope of eternal life because we have that privileged status of being a child of God. In 1 John 1, uh, 2 verse 25, 1 John chapter 2 verse 25, it says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, eternal life. That's the promise if we are faithful to God. If we're not faithful to God, we do not have that promise. And sin is contagious. Now you think about diseases being contagious such as the flu or COVID-19 or bad cold or whatever. Well, sin is contagious too. An example of that is found in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. It says, your glorying is not good. Now, stopping there for a moment, what were they glorying in? They were accepting into their fellowship a man who was committing adultery or fornication because he had his father's wife. So they were glorying in that. And then continuing in the verse 6 there, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? In other words, he's saying there, you let somebody get away with sin, it is going to explode like yeast in bread. You will not be able to control it like fire and a batch of leaves that you leave unattended or whatever there because sin is contagious. Some people get away with something. Look what else they're going to try to get, uh, get away with. All you got to do is look at society. You've got people out there who do not care what a traffic sign says at all, whether it says stop or 55 or 70 or 75 or whatever. They're going to break that law because they have no respect for law, and that is contagious. When you get away with this, then you start looking at what else can I get away with, theft, robbery, murder, Whatever, it is contagious, and it goes, spills over to other people as well. You know, we've all been born subject to sin. We were not born sinners. We choose to sin. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7.29. Ecclesiastes 7.29. It says, Lo, this only have I found, that God made man upright. In other words, we were born sinless. Then he says, but they have sought out many inventions. In other words, they choose to sin. In Ezekiel 28.15, it says there Ezekiel 28.15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. That would be the day it was born till iniquity was found in thee, when he reached the age of accountability and sinned. And God is not responsible for our choices. You know, People try to say, well, God made me this way. That's why I'm homosexual or whatever. No, God is not responsible for your choices. In James 1, 13 to 15, James 1, 13 to 15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, we know that the devil does tempt us to sin. You know, as John spoke there, 1 John chapter 2, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Satan tempts us that way. But we're drawn away, as James is saying here, of our own lust. Now, you know, some people may have a problem with alcohol. Others have absolutely no problem with alcohol. Some may have a problem with gambling. Others have absolutely no problem in gambling. They don't care to do it, period. The same thing with illicit sex and on and on and on we could go. So the devil tries to find where can I tempt this individual? He doesn't tempt us in our strongest part. He tempts us in our weakest point. And we must overcome that because that's what it's talking about there. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. This is what I desire and there it is. And when that lust has been fulfilled, conceived, then it's sin. And what does sin bring forth? Death. As we read earlier, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. You know, we are free to accept or reject the gift that God has given us. Romans six twenty to twenty three is where we want to go now. Romans six twenty to twenty three. He says there, for when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And then verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that free gift again. And to obtain that gift, we must obey the gospel. Romans 1, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God to save people. Why should we be ashamed of that? Well, we choose by the way we live. We choose... Eternal life or eternal punishment. We receive what we deserve. We receive eternal punishment. These shall Matthew twenty five forty six, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Who are they? They're the unrighteous, they're the wicked. But then he says, But the righteous into life eternal. Alright, you go back and look at the context. Jesus said, you know, he spoke to the righteous saying, you did this, you know, you, you fed me when I was hungry, you gave me a drink when I was thirsty, and so on. And they said, when do we do this to you? And he said, when you've done it to the least one of these my brethren, you've done it to me. And then he sees those others on his left hand, he said, you didn't give me anything to eat, didn't give me anything to drink, whatever, etc., etc. Those are the wicked. Those who not only Do not obey the gospel now, but those who, even those who obey the gospel and live unfaithfully will be lost. So back to Romans 5.18 now. If all are dead through Adam, then all should be alive through Christ. Romans 5.18 therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to the condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life so it's a free gift but you have to accept the gift you know you think about it if i am going to say i'm going to give you 100 dollar bill whatever All you have to do is come up here and get it. If you don't come up here, you don't get it. If you stay there, you don't get it. The only way to get it is to come up. Well, now let's go back to what we were looking at there. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. The offense of one, Adam biting a piece of fruit. Righteousness of one, God freely giving his only begotten son to die on the cross. Brother Robert Taylor said concerning this, and I quote, Jesus came to do something about the sin problem. This is what brought him from the palace of the universe to this low ground of sin, sickness, and sorrow, unquote. So Adam brought conditions to the earth for sin to occur. Jesus created the condition for people to be righteous. When we look in Romans 5.19, Romans 5.19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man shall many be made righteous. So here we have the disobedience of Adam contrasted with the obedience of Christ. And Christ, through his act of obedience, stepped in for humanity, for us, to offer to God what we could not offer to him. And that is a pure and perfect sacrifice for sin. In Hebrews 5, eight and nine. Hebrews 5, eight and nine says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Notice the word obey, not just believe, but obey. In Hebrews 10, 9, and 10, and this is the Messiah speaking in prophecy, it says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second that be the first law, that he may establish the second, the law of Christ. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, that's Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. He offered himself for us. So just as it was that through one man's disobedience many were lost, so by one man's righteous obedience As many as choose to be are brought into a right relationship with God. Most people out there, as we've already seen, do not choose to be brought into a right relationship with God. And we find that law increases the chance for sin, therefore God's grace abounds. That's Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Again, there is no article before the word law here in the original. The word the is not there. Just as it states in the literal translation in Young's literal. The literal translation of Romans 5.20 states, But law came in besides that the deviation might abound but where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And then Young's literal translation of Romans 5.20 says, and law came in that the offense might abound, and where sin did abound, the grace did overabound. It did overabound. So God does not give us law to make us sinners. God gives us law to restrain and guide us. And that's just like parents and children. Parents give rules to children to restrain and guide and warn and bring them up properly. And that's the purpose of God's law. To restrain us, to guide us, to warn us, and to show us how to live properly in this life. And law makes us conscious of sin. Romans 3.20 Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, there is no "thee" before the words law, as we see in the literal and Young's literal translation. The literal translation of Romans 3.20 says, Because by works of law not one of all flesh will be justified before him, for through law is the full knowledge of sin. And then the young's literal, Wherefore by works of law shall no flesh be declared righteous before him, for through laws the knowledge of sin. You know, if we disobey one point of law, we're guilty. Guilty of all. Now, Galatians 3.19 talks about, this refers to the law of Moses. Galatians 3.19. Wherefore then serveth the law, that being the law of Moses. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, Moses being that mediator. And sin is a master that enslaves us, and law helps us to see that. John eight thirty four. 34. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. So law helps us see what sin is, and that it is our master until we obey the gospel and allow God to be our master. In Romans seven seven, Romans seven seven, it states, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, sin abounds in that it takes charge and it gives no way out. As a man by the name of R. Zacharias wrote, and I quote, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, unquote. But then Paul says there, where the sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I believe it was Young's letter said it did super abound. Well, Ephesians seven tells us that God's grace is far more effective in forgiving sin than the power that sin has in condemning men. Ephesians seven says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, that being Jesus, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace in romans 5:21 we find that sin reigns in the realm of death and grace reigns in the realm of everlasting life romans 5:21 It says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, spiritual death comes when sin has absolute reign. In Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. It says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So in verse 12, we see sin had absolute reign. Verse 13, we see that Christ or God now has reign over their lives. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58, we see sin's mastery over us can be broken through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. but on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory, through our lord jesus christ therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord there's the victory that the righteous will have and god gave us the gospel so that we can have that opportunity for salvation in Mark 16:15 and 16, Jesus speaking, Mark 16:15 and 16. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And God has the cure for sin, and that is only through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9:28. Hebrews nine twenty eight says, "So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, unto them that look for him shall he return the second time without sin unto salvation." And then in 1 John three 8. 1 John three eight, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we find here in the latter part of Romans chapter 5, because of Adam's disobedience, sin had a stranglehold on mankind and led us to death, both physical and spiritual. But God's grace, given through Jesus Christ, releases sin's hold on us and leads us to eternal life. And our justification was made possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. And we look forward to being with you next time.
0: When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Byway Media by visiting our website, bywaymedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.